Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson. I am an author, yoga teacher, healer, social worker, dismantling racism trainer, activist, and grief worker. This podcast emerged from work based in the exploration of collective grief and liberation. It exists to remind us about all the ways we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times and to remind us about the resilience and joy that comes from allowing ourselves to find refuge. Hello, friends. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of season two with Onika Mays. And today's interview is with Shannon Algio. I was thinking back about how I met Shannon, and I met Shannon on his podcast, The Soul Feed Podcast. Um, I met Shannon in, I believe it was either late 2017 or early 2018. He interviewed Carrie Kelly and me on his podcast, and we talked about white supremacy. And from that moment on, we stayed in relationship, and Shannon has been in community with me learning more about his own whiteness and internalizations and how to be in solidarity with BIPOC folks. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Shannon. Shannon Algio, named one of the 35 under 35 in wellness to watch by Wonderlust, is a celebrated speaker, writer, life coach, yoga nidra, and meditation teacher. His popular podcast, Soul Feed, features interviews with iconic cultural and spiritual leaders like Deepak Chopra, Caroline Miss, Marianne Williamson, Danielle Laporte, and many others. In his coaching practice, Algio works with clients to heal old patterns of trauma so they can show up in the world with power, presence, and purpose. Shannon is known around the world for his gift of processing his own life experience into words that can be heard or read in service of greater learning, deeper resonance, and profound healing. Shannon was rated as one of the nicest instructors in New York City by Rate Your Burn for his work as a yoga and meditation teacher, and he leads meditation programs for companies like the global nonprofit RED, founded by Bono, and the Museum of Contemporary Art. In addition to giving presentations for Lululemon and the Wonderlust Festival, Algio was a featured guest speaker at the United Nations Yoga and the UN Culture of Peace event. He is now pursuing an MA in counseling psychology from Pacifica Graduate Institute. And I would like to tell you about Shannon's new book, Trust Your Truth, Heal Self-Doubt, Awaken to Your Soul's Purpose, and Live Your Badass Life. This book is awesome, and we talk a lot about it in the interview. So enjoy. So welcome, Shannon. It's really good to be in space with you today, this morning. Thanks for being here and saying yes to being on the podcast. Thank you, Michelle, so much for having me. I'm always grateful and excited to be in conversation with you. So I feel lucky to be able to sit down and talk with you today. Yeah, I'm glad that you're here. And I think we first, did we first meet on the Soul Feed, your podcast, Soul Feed podcast, when you and Carrie Kelly, I think that's when we first connected. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to think back. 
And I was thinking back to our first in-person meeting, but our first, our first official meeting was on Soul Feed podcast, like Uh hit record. Hi, how are you? (laughs) (laughs) I know that was in 2017 or 20 or the beginning of 2018. I know it was that year because I was living in Portland. Oregon yes. for that one year. And I know where I was when I, the interview was happening. I remember a mm. lot about the setting and what was going on. And um, so, yeah, that was a few years, a few years back now. And I would love for you to share some about who you are. And you can answer this question any way you'd like, who you are, what you do, anything you want to share. Like with this question, I feel like I always have to start off for myself with. I don't know. That feels like the truest, humblest answer is like, because it, it, I I feel that if I try and identify who I am or, or codify or label or name, it's usually based on preconceived notions of, of who I was. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of who I am, a big part of who I am is, is emergent, growing, evolving, shifting, changing, and there's these parts of me and parts of all of us, I think, that are constant and, you know, who we, who we are throughout our lifetimes. There is a, a certain kind of constancy to that. So to speak to that constancy of, of who I am, I feel like I am a truth seeker and have been for my whole life, like since I was very, very young, I've been sometimes almost obsessed with understanding, feeling, knowing, getting to the root of the truth, whatever that truth may be, getting to a place of, of resonance and and depth. And I'm also with that depth, like a playful being silly. I can have a, like, I can enjoy a shadowy sense of humor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and And my work in the world is you know, you mentioned Soul Feed Podcast, which so much of Soul Feed Podcast has been this opportunity to sit down with people and get at the truth. Like, what is yeah. your experience of life? What is true for you? What have you learned? What do you feel like you must share with the world based on everything that you've experienced in your life? I love asking people those types of questions. And yeah, and, and, and supporting people to do the healing work that is required, I believe, in order for us to remember who we truly are. You know, I'm really, I'm in graduate school right now for psychology. And so much of the depth psychological tradition, Carl Jung, is this like return to wholeness. Like what are the disintegrated parts of us that we've repressed or disowned or society told us weren't okay. And what happens when we go and get those parts of ourselves that we've lost in a sense, and we remember them and we bring them forward into the the fuller expression of our wholeness. Mm -hmm. To me, that's what's healing. It's like going and getting all of those threads that somehow got tangled or cut or disconnected. And so for a long time, I've done that through, you know, coaching, teaching yoga, meditation and yoga nidra and and now this work is evolving for me you know the my book trust your truth was this culmination of so much that i had learned and so much that and so much so many experiences that i had had and and lessons that i had been taught 
And I do feel that that writing the book sort of gave me this permission to let go mm-hmm. and move forward in my in my growth, which is now this path to becoming a psychotherapist. So that's a little bit about who I am, kind of just like sprinkling things here and there. And yeah, that's that's some of me. Yeah. I appreciate the way you, you answered the question and and in this way of thinking about who you're becoming, right? And that you're evolving all of the time that we are. And so my my follow-up question to who are you is what do you understand about who you're becoming right now? I'm thinking about what you said about the disintegrated parts and welcoming those in so we can be whole. So in your own process, what do you understand about who you're becoming at this time? Mm. I feel like chills and resonance just hearing you ask that question. Yeah, I, I felt, I have felt disintegrated in, in a lot of ways in the last couple of years where teaching yoga and meditation and, and coaching and being in this wellness space has felt so at odds to the work that I've done in large part, thanks to you and Carrie Kelly and Layla Saad and so many, you know, anti-racism teachers and critical race theory and understanding how, how systems intersect with this idea of wellness. And, you know, like you talk about who gets to be well. And I just felt divided in myself about these like worlds that I dance in and like, you know, who, who gets to be well, who gets to have access to a life coach, who gets to go do yoga training after yoga training and be exposed to spending time in, in, in healing spaces. And when the pandemic happened, the, the coronavirus pandemic, I, and George Floyd happened. And I, I listened to a podcast with Resma Menicum on, on being with Krista Tippett. And I just heard something in a new way that landed deeply in my body. And for those who don't know, Resma is a somatic psychotherapist, black man, and does a lot. His, his book, My Grandmother's Hands, talks about white body trauma, black bodies, police bodies, and the intersection of, of trauma and resilience in, in our bodies. And I, I heard a call, a very specific call to white people in that interview that he made that just landed for me in a new way. And it was, we need, this is what he said, we need white people, and I'm paraphrasing, we need white people to create culture around anti-racism, to create their mm-hmm. own culture of being anti-racist. There's plenty of white culture that's racist. Right we need white people to go and create culture around being anti-racist. And, and it's hearing Resma and Krista's conversation and then reading my grandmother's hands and then, and then reflecting on the work that I had done, both interpersonal work and healing and also anti-racism learning and unlearning. I realized that I had to become a psychotherapist that actually part of my activism is being in space where people can look at themselves because this is the aha moment that I had is that if white bodies are ignoring their own trauma and their own 
disintegrated selves, then how can they look at a black body and say, I have compassion for what you have been through and what your Mm -hmm. ancestors have been through? I mean, maybe, maybe it is possible, but I just kind of came into this knowing that if more people are able to have access to therapy and to looking within themselves, then I think there's just a direct link to how we look outside of ourselves and how we start to interact in our relationships and how we start to build society is based on our relationship to ourselves. So how do we like, how do we do the healing work that we need to do without navel gazing and getting lost in ourselves and forgetting everyone else, but also not be so involved in, you know, saving the world that we lose our connection to what allows us to connect to each other, which is our connection to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, so this is where I'm at <laughs> in terms of why I chose to apply to go to graduate school is there was a, an integration that I felt after exploring what I heard in that conversation and the work that I've done that it became very clear to me that there is activism in the psychotherapeutic space and that these worlds have to happen together and that, and that my work, like Shannon's work, is to be in that room with people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I love that the way you're talking about activism in the psychotherapy therapeutic space. You I'm sure know I was a clinical social worker for a long time and remember meeting with white clients, BIPOC clients, and everything being racialized. And at the time trying to navigate with white folks, how do I talk about this and still hold the therapeutic space, given that we're having a really racialized experience right now? And then with BIPOC folks, always connecting them with affinity groups and reminding them this is not a system you created, but it had become internalized. So people really felt like this is me, something's wrong with me and responding to that self-doubt and self-hate. So it's interesting the way you're talking about, in some ways, you know, who we are towards ourselves and interpersonally, and then how that connects with how we show up in the outer world and what your work is and, and defining that and where you want to be as far as working with folks and what you want to call them into, but in a therapeutic way, like in a way that is truly about fullness. And I love the way you talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for lifting that up too. And and it's, it's, I think my conviction around the connection between like, I almost don't even like to call it self-healing Because when you go in and you heal something, you're not just healing. In my experience, I, when I've done healing work, especially around my, my dad's side of the family and Irish Catholic coping mechanisms like alcoholism Mm -hmm. and aggression, repressed anger, martyrdom, impacts of of sort of Christian narratives Mm -hmm. on someone's psyche being Mm -hmm. small, 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 small. I've felt connected to my dad and my late grandfather who died when I was three years old in ways that I, deeper ways that I never felt so deeply connected to my grandfather. And it's been directly connected to the healing that I've had the courage 
and readiness to go and do within myself. So this idea of self-healing, I have felt in my body that it ripples back into the history of the ancestors, has the potential to unhook our ancestors from the traumas that they endured. Mm-hmm. Be- because it's like our our living bodies, we are the continuation right. of millions of years of evolution. You know, like mm-hmm. this, we are the surviving ones. We are, we hold the trauma and we hold the resilience in our bodies. And I like the line that history and destiny meet yeah. in our bodies in this moment of now. Mm-hmm. And so we have such power when we remember who we are and then, and then realize that who we're being in our bodies has the, has the potential to inspire and encourage others to relate to themselves in new, deeper and more healing ways. And, and that, that is how we show up at the grocery store. That is Mm -hmm. how we show up at the red light. That is how we show up when we want to lift the middle finger or, or spit out some, you know, harsh or harmful remark. Mm-hmm. We have a little dog. Just joined us. The room <laughs> he did. He was like, can't... "Oh wait, <laughs> <laughs> let me see what they're talking about." He's like, "Well, this sounds interesting." <laughs> <laughs> I know. He totally came in like that. Yeah. Yeah. What you're naming, I want to. I mean, all of this is related to trust your truth. I have so many questions based on what we've we've um, just talked about. And one question I have is about energy. And this is in the introduction of the book, your story of the glass shattering. And and you write about energy and that it can neither be created or destroyed. It can only be transferred. And what you just named about history and destiny in the body and and how we show up really is making me think about this part of the book and energy. And so I'm curious to know more about the way you're, you're engaging your energy or transferring your energy now, like in the, to use your words, right. That it can only be transferred. How is it being transferred or transforming for you at this time? Mm. Oh, wow. I love that question. Yeah. So that's, that's the law of thermodynamics. I believe. Maybe. I don't know why I'm shaking my head like I know. I don't know. Like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds good. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's a, um, it's, it's one of the laws. I think it might be the seventh law of, of thermodynamics. So it's like a scientific law that energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It can only be transferred. So mm-hmm. that's really interesting to think about like what parts of us do we want to destroy and do away with and knowing that that's not possible. Like we, yeah. like we, we must transfer energy and, and realize that it can only be transferred. And, and so for me, yeah, I, I think that growth and evolution and change within myself is so scary because it means letting go of, of, of things that, that maybe I've identified with in my past that no longer are are meant to be kept at the forefront of my life. So like, mm-hmm. for example, I, as I prepare to become a psychotherapist, I'm not working with many coaching clients right now. As, as I really devote energy to school and, and I, re, I realize that like 
my perfectionist um, self who wants to do all the reading and get an A on all the papers mm-hmm. and 4.0 and just like nail it, you know, be, you know, be what society taught me to be, you know, win, get the grade, yeah. do the performance. I realized when my book came out two months ago that I'm capable of getting the grade, you know, writing the paper, Mm -hmm. executing the rubric perfectly, Mm -hmm. impressing my professors. But that is not directly correlated to me receiving the education that I want to receive. That, That A that I can get on a paper does not necessarily mean that I am basking in the depth and richness of the education and letting it seep into my psyche and my bones. And so now where I'm at is like, okay, what energetically and literally what structures in my life do I have to let recede into the history of Shannon Mm -hmm. when I was 28 and 32 and, you know, these, these, past things that I, that I'm clinging to, what do I need to let go so that I can value the education and and let myself bask in receiving, receiving the wisdom that is contained within, within the education instead of performing just to get by. Right. And so I'm moving into a place of pausing my podcast and I'm, I'm, I'm lucky and we're lucky because I get to have one more conversation, not one more conversation with you, but I get to have another conversation right. with you yeah. on the podcast before that. And so it's, it's, for me, it's just feeling into what does it mean to let myself be new? What does it mean to let older parts of myself that my persona and my ego identified with and let those go so that I can devote the energy to become who and what I am becoming and, and be of service in a way. And, and so, and I, and I think this is really important. And a lot of this is, you know, Tracy, uh, Tracy Stanley, who's been on Finding Refuge and is a mutual friend and colleague of ours. My yoga nidra studies with her have majorly influenced my understanding of, you know, in, in my twenties, I just overworked and it was all about achieving and producing and and pr- almost proving to myself that I could do it. And now I just see when there's too much on my plate and my eye is twitching and my body feels mm-hmm. tense, I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> and this is not healthy. And this isn't going to allow me to facilitate the type of connection and listening and energetic space that I want to with others. And I just deserve to to not be in a chronic state of tension <laughs> as I move through school. And, and so this is looking at society and understanding that if I default to how society wants me to be, mm-hmm. then I'm going to be a ball of tension that is energetically going to lash out eventually when, I, when my resentment boils over because I'm not taking care of myself. And that's where I'll cause harm to myself or others. So... Yeah. So energetically, I'm just kind of like exploring, what do I need to be in a state of, not that I always have to be in a state of peace or always be in a state of harmony, but I do need to know how to return to that and, and return to feeling whole. And I talk about this in the, in the introduction of the book, the question, what can I do right now that would make me proud of myself? 
and as scary as pausing the podcast was for me, because I've been doing it for six years. Yeah. I feel really proud that I'm letting myself do that because it symbolizes how much I want to take my education seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's such a good modeling around this practice of creating space, right? Or allowing space to be there, you know, as an act of care towards yourself and then ultimately others, because you spoke about how if you're not cared for taking care of yourself resentment will build and that is when you'll cause harm so i can imagine it was a challenging process to come to the point of maybe of deciding to pause i would i would imagine so and 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 um glad to hear you're allowing that space to be there yeah pause so maybe you'll return to it maybe not like speaking about you know becoming someone new right all of the time yeah, it means letting something go and and not having, for me, not having a definitive, like, well, you'll come back to it on this date and because that's not really letting it go. So it's like, what is it to be in the explore, exploration of allowing space and then letting inspiration, letting source, letting divine energy, letting the universe, you know, if that space is meant to be filled again, or that space is meant to be interacted with in a new way, then I'll know that and I'll feel that and I'll act according to that, that mm-hmm. pull instead of the shoulds. Well, you right. should, you should do it. Why wouldn't you do it? There's this many listeners or there's there, or you can talk to this per, you know, all the, all the shoulds. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, that's not really inspiring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What we're talking about is making me think about buying a one-way ticket somewhere. Like mm-hmm. I have a friend who is in Puerto Rico and she is Puerto Rican and she, but she lived in Florida and lived in North Carolina for a while. And she bought a one-way ticket recently and is there and has no idea when she'll come back or if she'll come back. You know, it's like the way we're talking about this and the way you talk about it, it made me think of her like it's like buying a one-way ticket somewhere and being on the adventure and I mean it, done intentionally right there was preparation that went into this preparation into like I'm gonna pause this podcast but like allowing it to take you where the space to take you wherever you, you might need to go or want to go next I love it I yeah I I love that thank you for sharing that because I love that image and that very practical you know, journey and destination. And it's funny that you bring that up because during the last year in 2020, I got to go, or I made the decision to go home to Maryland Mm -hmm. to be with my family and did it safely and quarantined, got tested and made sure my parents were safe. And, you know, it was a whole ordeal that usually took about seven days just to arrive and quarantine. And so I didn't book a return ticket because I was like, we're in the midst of a global pandemic. I'm not like, I don't know. I don't know when I'm meant to come back, but I'll, I'll come back to LA when, when it's time. So I did that twice. And now I, again, I'm going home in a couple of weeks to Maryland and Delaware and New York. And, and I haven't booked a return ticket because it's like, and and so, yeah, I, I, there's some symbolism in that in like, you know, not always having the rigidity yeah. of knowing 
exactly how everything is going to go. And like, actually like life is going to happen. And maybe I want a couple more days with my parents. And, and for me, I feel a lot of freedom in my body and letting myself feel into when am I meant to go back to LA Mm-hmm. Instead of predetermining that and sticking to this kind of rigid decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love, I love this, like the theme of what we're talking about, the allowing. I mean, that's really what we're, we're talking about, allowing. And I want to talk some more about trust your truth and, and your process of writing and, and how it came to be. And I'd love for you to share some about the book with, with folks who are listening to this. Tell us some about trust your truth. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I this book was was three years of writing and you know thirty four years of preparing. Yeah. Which is my lifetime as of the recording of this podcast. And I I mean, I've always loved to write like that, like language arts and English classes, like those were my gen in middle school and high school. Math, not so much. <laughs> like, but I loved the creative writing and reading and and writing has pretty much always been a creative medium. For me, like I feel like I, I can get into flow, like the faucet can turn mm-hmm. on when I write. So I always knew I would write a book. I wasn't like I really, I wasn't like I really want to write a book. I was like, I have to write a book. It's just, it needs to be written. And so, yeah. So trust your truth. The the pinnacle, the essence of trust your truth really came from a three-year relationship that I was in that started in New York and spanned the whole country as we moved to LA together. And I didn't trust my truth in that relationship. In fact, quite the opposite. I, I betrayed, and a more compassionate way to put it would be, I didn't know how to listen to the very real and alive felt sense of truth that was in my body in that relationship. Mm-hmm. And that felt sense of truth told me very specifically that something is off in this relationship. You can't trust this person who you're in relationship with. This person is cheating on you. Mm-hmm. You, you know, these are many different instances over different months where my body just knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But similar to what we were talking about with letting things go, my ego, my persona, my, there was a part of me that didn't want to acknowledge that truth, to feel it, to see it, and then to take the actions that I would need, need to take to reorganize my life around that truth. Mm-hmm. And so I internalized all of the problems of the relationship, meaning when I would go to my partner and say, Hey, I don't know why, but I feel like you have interest in other guys or that you're cheating on me. He would often deflect and it would always become about, you know, my trust issues, what's wrong with me. And so I was doing all this work on, on quote unquote me but really, I was taking on a lie 
Mm-hmm. I was taking on someone's inability to be real in the relationship. And in doing that, I was losing my connection to, to reality. And when I say reality, I mean truth, my truth, yeah. the truth, whatever you want to call truth. And so that went on for a very long time. And I lost, I felt my body losing energy. I was lost because I, I turned away from my compass of, of true north. And the night, the very specific night when my ex admitted to cheating on me, my first response, my first embodied response was just my, my whole system was supercharged with energy. I felt so alive. Mm. I felt my eyes could see the room in a more crystallized, clear focused way. I felt good that night. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel good for the months after that night, but that night was so empowering to me because like I said, at the beginning of the interview, like I have a thirst for truth. That was the right. original name of the book proposal was thirst for truth. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to be in what's real. Like let's deal right. with what's real. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, once I got that lesson and it's a lesson that took probably a year to integrate mm-hmm. and I'm still integrating it four years later. And I know in my next relationship, it will integrate further. Like, what does it mean to listen when you feel that felt sense of embodied knowing? What does it mean to lean into listening, even when you might be being gaslit by someone else? or denied or shamed. And so for me, the lesson that I got in that was, Shannon, you must listen to that truth within Mm. yourself. And if you don't, there is going to be a huge cost. And that price, I I paid it. I felt Mm. that price. And so I don't like to say never again, because... I can say never again like that. <laughs> right. Never mm-hmm. again like that. You know, sometimes we need to learn repeated lessons in different ways. But for me, that was trust your truth. And and so, you know, seeing all the ways that society taught me as a gay man, as a as an effeminate queer person to not trust my sensitivity. Mm-hmm. that my sensitivity was a problem, that I was an F-A-G-G-O-T, that Shannon's a girl's name, like all the messages that I heard mm-hmm. about the way you do it is weird, wrong. The, these are examples of why we don't trust ourselves. Right. We're taught not to. People benefit from us not trusting ourselves. So that's why I wanted to write the book because I was like, I'm, I don't go through this alone. And this is Mm -hmm. an experience that if I can support someone in not, I don't necessarily want to prevent someone from betraying themselves because sometimes we have to play with that edge in order to learn that lesson for ourselves. But my hope is, is that the book can meet someone in that moment of either self-betrayal or betrayal from others or both and realize that 
there's repair that can happen and there's more empowerment that can come from that experience instead of being broken by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for um, sharing your part of your story. I know there's much more and the process of like how you came into being able to trust your truth which really makes me think about alignment, like how you came into alignment with yourself, how you came back, how you brought the disintegrated parts together. You're like, I know this is happening, right? Which is probably why you felt the energy the, the night that you're, the truth that you understood was affirmed. Like you knew these things were happening. It wasn't something that you made up. And I'm really grateful this, this manifested in a book, which is really, a, it feels like a, such a resource the way it's structured, the questions in it, the activities in it, like, thank you for creating it. I feel like it will be really useful for many people. And it's the kind of book in my experience that one can go back to again and again. Like it's a, it's not a workbook, but it feels like it does work you like that's how I feel about Trust Mm. Your Truth, which, yeah, which I'm really, really grateful for. And, And there's a, this is also in the introduction. Um, and I want to, I know we've, you mentioned this earlier, been through so much over the last year and a half in so many ways, but there's a part where you write, the truth is sometimes we need the glass door to come shattering down on top of us. Sometimes we need the big loud thud from life. Sometimes it takes death to wake us up, the preciousness of life. And when I read that, it of course made me think about the last year and a half, but also Prior to that, when my mother was sick, I had to remind someone how precious she was to me. I said that to the caregiver, Mm -hmm. give her her medicine because she's precious. And so I'm curious to, to hear about, you know, the last year, your experience and, and I mean, with the many pandemics, but it could be specific to COVID or something else that um, is coming through, but what do you understand about what we've just been through the death, like so much shedding and death and the opportunity that has been provided for us to wake up to the preciousness of life. Mm. I know that's kind of a big, that could have been like the whole podcast. <laughs> I asked this big question. So I'm like hearing myself. I was like, Michelle, that's a big question, but you wrote it. So I'm asking it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I don't mind big questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking big questions with you. Yeah. I mean, death is a doorway. It's, you know, we, we come into this world and we leave it. And that experience is unique for everyone. And yet it's universal and, you know, society and, and our culture also informs like who gets to live longer than others in some, in many instances. And I think that I I know from, you know, in the last chapter, I talk about my Aunt Bonnie. Mm -hmm. And this was another moment of of truth. I actually, I was in my 20s in New York and I had a day off and I I was in my fifth floor walk up, like, you know, late 1800s building where the staircase is like curving down and inward (laughs) in the middle of the building Mm -hmm. old beautiful building and i'm taking i'm getting ready to take a bath on my day off and i take a hit of a joint because i'm like Mm -hmm. i'm gonna relax and take a lush bubble bath and 
I sink into the bathtub and I'm listening to Fields of Gold by uh, the cover by Eva Cassidy. And I just start weeping in the bathtub. It was like the, the THC and the hot water and the bubbles and the day off allowed me to exhale and allowed me to feel something that I wasn't feeling in my busy New York life. And underneath the grief that I felt and the tears was very clear message. And it said to me, go see your Aunt Bonnie as soon as possible. My Aunt Bonnie had ovarian cancer. And I wasn't really clear on how close she was to the end. Like consciously, I wasn't aware of, of quite where she was at, but I, I knew, I, get, I felt it. Mm-hmm. And so it took me like seven days to actually get on the train to Philadelphia and get there to see her. But I, I remember when I arrived at her house, this is like a house that I grew up going to for my entire life, you know, early childhood, we would always go to my uncle Dan and aunt Bonnie's house. This is my mm-hmm. dad's brother and sister or brother and sister-in-law. And I walk into the room where she's in the hospice bed and her friend, Mrs. Cassidy's in the room and, and my cousin uh, Eileen and Katie are in the room. And Mrs. Cassidy is like, Shannon, Shannon, talk to her. She can hear you. She can hear you. Talk to her. And my aunt looked so frail. I had never seen her this small and she's, you know, laying down and I'm like processing like, oh my gosh, this is the 11th hour of her life. Yeah. This is, this is it. And, and then Mrs. Cassidy's like, talk to her, talk to her. I have like my Wawa coffee, the coffee's hitting. I'm like overwhelmed, but I just start spewing out memories that we shared. Mm. And, and this, my aunt Bonnie, she was a light, like a beaming, you walked in the room and she would spin in circles, jump up and down, throw her arms around you. (laughs) When you were in the room, you, you knew how much. Um, you meant to her. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. just percolating in her enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going through all these memories and she shoots up out of the bed and says, Shannon. And she grabs my hand. She immediately falls back into the bed. And my cousins had told me she hadn't spoken to anyone in, since the night before. She, was, they, she had said goodbyes multiple times to everyone. So she's holding my hand tightly. I'm holding her hand. She's, you know, instantly back asleep, essentially. And I just keep going through memories and just pouring my love and gratitude into her and and just sharing this special moment where I can feel the grip of her hand in Mm -hmm. mine. Mm -hmm. And slowly over the course of the next 15, 20 minutes, the hands, just one, you know, little pulse at a time just starts to loosen. And I knew that I had made it just in time to have that final embodied connection with her. And that night she passed mm-hmm. that night. And, and my name, Shannon, that's how I say, I'm saying my, I say my name's Shannon, but my Philadelphia family calls me Shannon. My name was the last word that she spoke. And, and that just meant a lot to me because it felt like this transfer of energy. It felt yeah. like a remembrance that 
her energy, even though it has left her body, mm-hmm. her energy is now everywhere and it's transferred into the people that she loved and the room around her and, and, and all of the people that she impacted. And so, you know, talking about the preciousness of life, I, I'm so grateful for that experience because as, as we, as we prayed later that night, my, my aunt was Catholic. Mm-hmm. And she loved this very specific rosary prayer. And it was one that I had never said before, but she loved it. It meant a lot to her. And so me and a couple of her friends that night before she passed, we we said this prayer. And we took turns saying the prayer. And it just kind of goes, you know, it's one of those rosaries that goes like on and on for like mm-hmm. a very long time. And And I knew that we were giving our energy to her as she was preparing to make her transition and we were all sending her energy. And I, the pulsation in the room of the 11th hour of her life felt like so precious. It felt like this, this gateway into another realm, this Mm -hmm. very urgent and important moment. And so this is how precious our lives are. You you know, you're talking about like, this is my mother. Like she's precious to me. She is, she is precious. Like, and, and I, and I think that death connects us to that preciousness. And, and I, and, and to bring the video of George Floyd into it, like what we saw, those who chose to watch the video, what I saw and, and the length at which that video was. It, it, shot people up you know for me i was on my couch and i shot up off of my couch and i was in west hollywood the next day on the mm-hmm. street and like it it forced us into action because that's how precious life is and and i and i you know just to speak to inequity is like we all deserve to have the preciousness of our lives honored mhm mhm yeah. And I think we all are responsible for for being stewards of that sacred transition and certainly not harmfully, you know, shortening someone's mm-hmm. precious life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing about your aunt Bonnie and your experience with her and what you were called into that moment. Again, it's the listening, like the deep listening and connection to your wisdom. And like when you hear the voice, it's like, okay, I actually need to do this thing. Like it's very clear to me. That's come up a few times in this conversation. And and for connecting it with this this moment, I always say moment, but we've been in this for a long time. But this moment where we're being called into really deciding whether or not we will regard everyone's lives as precious or or not. And that's kind of been a, the question that the core of the core of the core. So thank you for speaking to these things in the way that you have. And and I'm wondering if, if there's anything that you want to share about, of course, I'll, I'll include how people can connect with you and that, but anything you want to share about what's coming up, things you want people to know about in the next several months, anything coming up that you'd like folks to, to know more about? Yeah. Well, Trust Your Truth and the audiobook 
which I recorded, which was so fun to record. Such an honor to to record it. Those are both available out in the world. So if you want to get a copy of the book, if you want to listen to the book, some people like to do both. The website for that is trustyourtruthbook.com. And what else do I have going on? I mean, that's trying, a lot. <laughs> I'm trying to not have things going on. So I think that space. might be it for right now. Yes, yeah, space. <laughs> we're making space. That's plenty though. Like again, right. this, this work and what you call us into in the, in the book is it will work us. So it takes time, right? That's like you birth something very profound. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot in there. And some people like fly right to the book. Some people go to specific chapters and, and feel called mm-hmm. because the chapters are in alignment with the chakras. Yeah. You might be called to be like, okay, like I, you know, the, the fourth chapter, which is the fourth chakra is about heart. It's about emotions and it's about our feeling mm-hmm. capacity. So some people might go to certain chapters and chakras to engage. And there is at trustyourtruthbook.com for anyone who purchases the book or the audiobook, there's seven uh, meditations. Actually, I think there's eight meditations for each chapter. There's a special chakra meditation to connect to that chapter in an embodied way and kind of bring it to life through, through practice. So people need to get the audiobook, get the book, connect with Shannon. And Shannon, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Michelle. This has been such an honor to connect with you. And thank you for creating this space for us to find refuge in relationship with one another and within ourselves. I really appreciate the space you've created. And I'm deeply honored to be a part of, of this Finding Refuge podcast and community. Thank you so much, Shannon. I hope you enjoyed the episode. So, as you all may know, I have a new book out, Finding Refuge, Heart Work for Healing Collective Grief, published by Shambhala Publications. It was published on July 13th, 2021, and can be found anywhere where books are sold. Along with the book, you can join me for some offerings focused on finding refuge and focused on collective grief, ritual, and processing trauma, allowing it to move through so that we can get free. We'll explore the connection between grief and liberation. You can support the podcast Finding Refuge by telling your friends about it and rating it on iTunes. You can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action. I offer monthly Dharma talks, rituals, meditations, or movement practices. I hope you join me there. Take care. Be well, friends. Mm -hmm.